Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, um, we're doing something that we do every year. This is what we call our Giving for Others service. And so, and we're revisiting a text that we, we often come back to this time of year for this service, just like I like to come back to Habakkuk 2 um, for our, our yearly session. Um, I like to come back to Luke 21 and the, the, the story of the widow's giving of her offering, the widow's might, depending on your translation, um, for this. And so what is giving for others? For those of you who might be new, for those of you who might be visiting, giving for others is something that we do every year in order to make pledges, in order to do our part to support missions around the world. And what I mean by that is um, it, it includes a lot of different things that we lump together and we call giving for others. And I've actually put those goals in your bulletin this morning on your middle panel. And so for the 2018-2019 church year, which starts next week, um, here are what I would like to see us do as a church. Now, I realize um, I'm setting goals that I won't be here for, but I still think they're goals that need to be set, and especially in this case, um, goals that need to be met. Because this is how we, as part of the Church of the Nazarene, how we are team players, how we do our part to participate and support the work of the Church of the Nazarene, not just domestically, but internationally and around the world. So you'll see um, the, the pledges, the things, that, the goals that we're talking about add up to $5,500. That's a lot over the course of a year. But I think it's a, it's a noble and worthy goal that I think we have a, a part to play in. The bulk of that goes to what we call WEF, or WEF, if you're hearing us talk about it. What that stands for, actually, is the World Evangelism Fund. And what that goes to is it, it helps support um, Nazarene missionaries around the world and the work they're doing. It helps support the Nazarene headquarters in Kansas City. It goes to a variety of things, but the bulk goes to missions work around the world. We also sponsor a child as a church, and you can read about her. Um, we have her card out in the bulletin board in the fellowship hall. Lifeline helps support um, work and witness trips. Lifeline is actually what they use to buy the materials that they take with them on those trips and, and build or repair whatever it is they're working on. Deputation is money that goes to um, Nazarene missionaries when they're stateside and they're doing their tours. Missionary healthcare is self-explanatory. Compassionate ministries we do to help um, with, with different compassionate needs that arise throughout the year. WMB, we love our acronyms, right? World Mission Broadcast. It helps to support radio programs that take the gospel to places that we literally can't go, where radio waves can travel over mountains or go into restricted access countries where people cannot. Jesus Film Harvest Partners is very similar in the sense that it's film that we're, we're sending people out carrying. American Bible Society, Links is a way of, um, I think it's learning and interested Nazarenes knowing and serving. I told you we like our acronyms, all right? Um, but but links goes to um, help missionaries as well. The Missionary Christmas Fund is another example. All of that together comes to $5,500. And while I'm normally hesitant to fundraise as part of our Sunday morning service, while I'm normally hesitant to ask for certain dollar amounts, this is one where I, I, I don't have that reservation, as you can tell. <laughs> um, namely, because we don't benefit from this as a church. This is something that every dollar that comes in for giving for others goes out. Um, we as a church, this does not benefit us. We're not making money off of this. If you pledge and then you give to what we call giving for others, every one of those dollars goes out to support these causes. And in that case, I feel a little less guilty when I say, 
we need your money. <laughs> All right? Because this is not going to support me. It doesn't support my paycheck. It doesn't pay our bills here. It goes to help missionaries around the world. So with that in mind, um, you know now that the, the pledge cards have been passed out. And if we ran out, if we need more, let us know. Um, I'm going to ask you at the end to pledge. Make a new pledge for a new year. Maybe you've been pledging and you've been, you're about to, to fulfill that pledge today or you fulfilled it earlier this month. Well, I'm asking you to keep going and maybe even up it a little bit. Maybe you didn't pledge last year. Maybe you weren't here or maybe this is the first time. If maybe you haven't pledged, well, then pledge for the first time because that's where all of this is going. But this is symptomatic. This is really the end result of a much deeper process that I want us to look at scripturally today. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. And I've got the scripture up on the screen if you want to follow along that way or you can turn in your Bibles. But I want us to take a look at what goes on between Jesus and his disciples here. It says this, as Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others, for all these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Four short verses, uh, far-reaching implications. So there's several different things going on here, and I think a little bit of background helps. Obviously, these are four verses, but they're set in a much larger narrative, one that we have to consider, because it's just a chapter before, in chapter 20, we see that um, Jesus is preaching against the Pharisees. He pre he's preaching against the teachers of the law, who would have been those rich putting their gifts in, those that gave out of their wealth. And so Jesus is teaching this in Holy Week. This is the beginning. This is leading up to Good Friday. This is leading up to the first Easter Sunday. And so we see here, um, he started his campaign. He's teaching in Jerusalem. He's in the temple. The giving is going on. And this is the context in which he notices this widow, and he points her out to his disciples. And so this widow is giving two small coins. Literally, they're, they're lepta, is what it's called in Greek. They, she puts her lepta in, and it, it, it amounts basically to two pennies. If you want to think about it in today's terms, it's probably 60 cents, about five minutes of labor at minimum wage. And yet it was all she had to live on. And yet she still put it in. She gave out of her poverty while others were giving out of their wealth. And out of her poverty, she gives and puts in all that she has to live on. And she does it in this way and in this place that it's pretty obvious what she's giving and by association, what she's not giving. Because there's 13 horns that you can give in in the temple. And they're, they're all, they almost look like those, those megaphones. They come up, they're these cones, and they fan out. And it was common practice for the rich to come in and put their coins in. And it's almost like, I always think of those things at the mall. Have you seen those that all the kids want to do? That you put the coin in and it, and it takes 18 minutes, right? Like, come on, kid, let's go to the next door. But it's still your quarter is circling around that little drain, right? But we've got to stay until it goes in. It's going and it's going and it's going. It's essentially one of those for rich people, right? And so they drop it in loudly, and the more noise it makes, you know, the more money they gave. And they would announce what it is that they're giving, what they're giving for. It's essentially a first century tithe envelope, right? Except you've got to tell everybody and their brother what it is you're giving to. Everybody can hear by the, 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 the loud clang 
they can tell is about how much you gave or didn't give. And so it's these loud clangs, clang, clang, clang. And then this little old lady steps forward and drops in, and you almost, you almost hear nothing. And that's who Jesus points out. Points out the one that gave out of her poverty, the one that gave what she could not afford. And so she does that, and Jesus notices those who are overlooked. He notices those who are not noticed and points out her faithfulness to the exclusion of everybody else who gave that day. See, Jesus is drawing on a deeper tradition, one that's not quite rooted in everything that the Pharisees are doing, but one that does go back to the Old Testament nonetheless. See, Hosea 6.6 6 says, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. See, the Pharisees, the scribes, Jesus just preached about them in the, the previous passage, that they're devouring widows' houses. Chances are there's a, good, there's, a, there's a good possibility that the widow only had two left to, to put in, probably because how the Pharisees and the teachers of the law wrote and practiced that same law. And so Jesus points her out to the exclusion of the others because she understands what's going on. She's exemplifying her trust in God while she gives that offering. The Pharisees, the, the rich people, it required no trust. It required no faith. They could put in all the money that they put in, and they still had plenty to live on. It was not stretching their faith. It was not testing them. It required nothing of them. Didn't require mercy. Didn't require sacrifice. They gave out of their wealth. They gave out of their abundance. They gave what they could afford to give, while the widow gave what she could not afford to give. So this has an implication for us. How are we giving? Are we giving more like the Pharisees, or are we giving more like the widow? Are we giving off the top, or are we giving what's left over? Are we giving what we can't afford, while the widow gave what she couldn't afford? And in our giving, is it exemplifying a dependence on God? Are we giving sacrificially? Because that's part of what's going on with this today, the giving for others. Because giving for others is different than your tithe or your normal offering. The way it's set up, the way it should be, is hopefully you're tithing, and then giving for others is something on top of that. So this is, giving for others is going above and beyond. It's beyond your normal tithe, beyond your normal offering. That's where the church does benefit, right? But the giving for others, that's the extra. That's the above and beyond. That's the sacrificial part. And so that's why we're looking at the, the story of the widow's might. So are you giving in a way that exemplifies your dependence upon God? Another thing we, we draw from the story, another thing we see from it is that none of us are too poor to give. We all might give different amounts, but there's no reason we can't have 100% participation in giving for others. There's no reason everybody in this room can't give something, even if it is 60 cents, like the widow with her lepta. Participation is what matters, rather than the, the scale, rather than the amount. What matters is that we all have skin in the game. Because God sees us. And I don't mean that in the sense of, God's watching and God knows and how's mu how much you're putting in. Or, and right when pastors say that, when preachers say that, we mean God knows how much you ain't putting in, right? Isn't that really what we're trying to say when we say things like that? What I mean instead is God sees you and God knows your heart and knows what you can give and what you can't. I know there are people in here that are maxed out. Maybe it's bad debt. Maybe it's owing on a house. Maybe it's credit cards. Uh, God knows your situation. I do not. And so God knows when you're giving sacrificially, even if to the rest of the world, they might give you the eye and like, really, that's all you're giving? See, God knows 
what you can't afford to and can't afford to give. And what I mean by that is whether I mean bills are going to go unpaid or meals are going to get skipped. God knows. That's the only person you have to answer to, not to me. I, I, I said a number. I picked a number based off of what we've done in the past. A good, number, a good round number, $5,500. Hopefully we can reach that. And if we don't, then God knows. God knows what he's doing. All the money in all of our pockets belongs to him. Francis says that every year in the treasurer's report, and I'm so glad that she does because it's so true. It's all God's money. It's just a matter of are we going to give it? Is it going to go back to his kingdom? Are we going to be good stewards, not just of the 10% or more that we give, but also of the 90% that we keep? And so with this in mind, um, a little bit of statistics after we look at um, a guiding principle from Matthew chapter 6. Verses 33 and 34 are some of my favorite passages from the Sermon on the Mount you see in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. In all of these things, giving, stewardship, our time, our talents, our treasures, whatever it is, in all of them, it's all about God's kingdom first. It's about seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness and what we give and don't give and what we give to the church and what we keep for ourselves. It's all about his kingdom, nonetheless. So to give us a little bit of a picture of how this actually works out in practice, 71% um, of consistent American churchgoers give less than 2% of their income, just to kind of give you a picture of what we're looking at. Nazarenes are actually better than that. The Nazarene average is actually higher. This is all North American churches. 21% don't give anything. And then I, I like this little like justification, but if I give 10%, I got to rework everything. Exactly. <laughs> That's the point. When you give 10%, you can't, no, I don't know anybody that accidentally gives 10% of their income. <laughs> it takes work and it hurts, right? But it's something we're called to do. And then I like this, how do we measure it? What's our priority? Is it our standard of living or our standard of giving? What is our priority and how are we measuring our financial life? Are we measuring by our standard of living or are we measuring a standard of giving? Now, all of this, if you know me, you know I like to ask the question behind the question. What is, what is underneath all of this? Because really, this is all taking place in our hearts. It's the condition of our hearts. Um, the checkbook is just a symptom. It's an outflow of that. The real, the real question is, is, where is our heart at? And I like to contrast these two ideas, is, is how we live or how we view, how we approach the world, and it's scarcity and abundance. You see, our economy is built on one of scarcity. There's only so much money to go around. There's only so much of the pie, so I better grab my slice. At the very least, there's only so many hours in a day, so I better use them wisely, meaning make money, right? And so our, our culture, our whole world is built around this idea of scarcity and that there's only so much to go around. And so the scarcity loop is based on fear. It's based on fear that there's not enough, that I'll go without. And so fear leads to anxiety. Anxiety, when we're anxious, we make poor choices, which then lead to negative outcomes, which then reinforces our fear. And so you can see, once you get in this loop, it's hard to get out. But God's way from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, from the, the prophets that we see in Hosea, to Jesus pointing out this widow, he's calling us to a space of abundance. And abundance is based on gratitude. Gratitude 
leads us to peace of mind. When we are gracious, when we are content, we make decisions from a peaceful place instead of an anxious place. And therefore, we are able to make wise choices. Because I don't know anybody, and necessarily the knee-jerk reaction is always the best one. When you're in the scarcity loop, it's a knee-jerk reaction all the time, and it's based out of fear. When, we, we, when we're based in abundance, and that abundance is really the root cause of that is God's grace, when we live out of abundance, we can make wise choices, which lead to positive outcomes, which make it easier to be gracious, which make it easier to be peaceful and make wise choices and increase. And so you see they're both loops. And we need to get out of this scarcity mindset. We need to quit living based in fear and instead live in a place based on abundance and God's grace. But that's a really hard transition to make. It is not easy when literally a billion-dollar industry that is advertising is based on you having a scarcity mindset. And so that's why we do things like gather together. That's why we worship. That's why we get together and we read this same text. For goodness sakes, how many times have you heard this sermon preached on giving or tithing? Change the Bible verse, change the background, whatever. How many times have you heard this message? How many times have you heard a message about grace, about mercy, about forgiveness, yet we still come back, yet you're still here? Because we need this reminder. We need to hear this. We need to gather together in order to, to spur one another towards, on towards love and good deeds because the entire rest of the world is set against it. It's based off of scarcity, fear, and anxiety. And instead, we need to live from a place of grace and peace and abundance. Really, what is at the, the, the core of all of this is contentment. And a, a good definition of contentment is not having what you want it's wanting what you have. When we want what we already have, it, instead, we don't focus on that standard of living anymore. It's about the standard of giving. And we're, we're freed up from fighting in the rat race. We're freed up from the fight for more. We're freed up from needing to get a bigger slice of the pie. And instead, it becomes about how do I use what I have for the kingdom? And so, as I said at the beginning, the challenge today, I'd like to end with a challenge, give you something to practice. What can you do? Well, today we're going to have a time of response because the challenge is to give. And so I'm going to ask Francis to come forward and we're going to do another offering. Only this time, you're not going to put money on the offering plate. You're going to put those pledge cards. And so I invite you to fill out a pledge card. You don't have to put your name on it if you don't want. That's fine. Even if you do put your name on it, I ain't going to come knocking at your door. I'm not going to be like, look, it's July, and you haven't given since May. We have to have a talk. That ain't going to happen, okay? This is instead for us to know, for us as a, as a church, as a church board, as church leadership, to figure out how we're going to meet our goal. Because I'll tell you this, we're going to do our best as a church to meet this goal, regardless of the pledges that come in. Because we as a church, as leadership, we believe in being a team player. We just hope you're on the team with us and that you're going to help us get there. And so as you take a moment to fill that out, whether you want to give a one-time gift, a weekly gift, a monthly gift, or something else in between, I don't care what, but we're going to pass the offering plates one more time. And I invite you to put that slip in the offering plate because that's what it is. It's an offering, and the offering is part of worship because it is worship. 
It's through giving. It's through offering up. It's through giving back first fruits that we exemplify dependence on God, that we participate in the faith of the widow and her might. And so I'm going to ask for um, our offering collectors to come forward with our plates. We've got one. Who's number two? I dropped this on Jared right before. So if we can have our, okay, um, have our collectors come forward. I'm going to pray over this offering. And then once all the collection is done, I'll, I'll dismiss us with a benediction. So let us pray together. Father, thank you for your gifts. Those that are tangible, those that are intangible. Things we can measure, things we can lay our hands on. And those that we only, we only know, we only experience in our heart, in our mind, or in our soul. Thank you for all your graces and all your gifts. And so now may we, may we thoughtfully consider and offer back to you a portion of that. Not for our own benefit, not for the benefit of this church or this place or this town, but for the benefit of the kingdom and the work in the world. May we give up some of what we have to further the mission of the kingdom in places we may never see and for people we may never meet. But may we pull together as the body of Christ and worship through an offering of our treasures now. Use these gifts for the upbuilding of your kingdom all around the world, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. As you go week this week, I pray that you don't operate from a place of scarcity, from a place of fear, from a place of anxiety, but instead from a place of abundance and grace and mercy and faith in God above all else. So go in grace and peace.